We're in the middle of a series looking at Jesus' words, and the last two weeks we were in Luke. Uh, this week we're going to be in the book of Acts, and then we're going to go back to the book of John um, for the next two weeks. But I want to I want to invite you to the, to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter one. If you're unfamiliar with this, Luke and Acts are really two volumes of the same work, um, and <clears throat> there's there's a lot of conjecture about when they were written and who and and who they were written to. They're addressed to a, a, a somebody called Theophilus, which means the lover of God. So whether it's just a general term for anybody who's reading this, or there was actually a guy named that, um, uh, um, but one way or the other. Uh, there's the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, and then there's the second book, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And and these two books together give us um, a, a reflection of uh, both who Jesus uh, was and is, and who the church is called to be. And Acts is really about the church. Um, most of it is focused on the Apostles Peter and Paul, but it's in their leadership of the church. Um, it's that that's their role, their teaching of the gospel. And so we have we have the gospel, uh, which tells us who Jesus is. And then we have the church who tell the, the, the book of Acts, which tells us what the church was going to be. And then we have the epistles, which tell us how the church is supposed to live. Acts picks up from the end of Luke kind of overlaps it a little bit. If you remember, at the end of Luke last week, there's just kind of this thing. He says It says that Jesus went out with them, and then he, was, he lifted up his hands, and he was uh, taken out of their presence. When Luke, the author, comes back to the topic in the, book, in the book of Acts, he gives us a little bit more detail. He unfolds, unpacks a little bit better what happened. And so I'm just going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, which means lover of God or God, uh, one who loves God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, there's, there's two direct quotes from Jesus in this, um, in this passage, and we're going we're gonna to get into those. But this morning, we, we've talked about fear, we've talked about faith, we've talked about belief, we've talked about authority in the scriptures. Um, but today I want to talk uh, specifically about the Holy Spirit. 
The book of Acts is very much, in fact, in, in many ancient uh, copies of the book of Acts, it's actually called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the book of Acts is about what the Holy Spirit did in the apostolic church. And how he took a group of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors um, and hangers-on and turned them into the apostles of Jesus Christ and built the church uh, on the foundation of their faith. And he opens, Luke opens with a statement about the Holy Spirit to lay the foundation for what we're about to read in the book of Acts. He speaks particularly... Um, he describes three aspects of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Jesus. The first is found in verse 2. Uh, Jesus talking to the disciples, he said, it says, after he had given commandments to the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, this often gets skipped over when people talk about the book of Acts. We want to rush on to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, which are the next two pieces. Um, and we, we want to get into the promise of the Father and the baptism and, and power. And we go, okay, we want to get to those. We, we tend to forget that this book opens with Jesus giving commands through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle John will later say that the, the commandment that was given to them was to love one another. That that was their primary commandment. Love God, love one another. And that through their love, through their devotion, through their fellowship, through their unity, in, not only in celebration but in suffering, people would see Christ. But he undoubtedly gave them other commands. We have some of them listed. Um, he talks, he says, he says, you're going to go in certain places. You're going to be here. There's orders that he gives, right? Um, in, in, uh, uh, verse four, while he was staying that, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's an order from the Holy Spirit as well to the apostles. He's giving them instructions. He's telling them what to do. And those things are an act of the Holy Spirit. Uh, often when we talk about being spiritual, we talk about, and, and just in uh, popular culture, when people talk about being spiritual, they tend to talk about people that are free of restriction. Oh, he's such a spiritual person. You know, and we tend to think of it, we don't think of spirit and commandments going together. We tend to think of spirit as being, you know, more, uh, you know, less, less structured. And yet here Jesus is giving commandment, commands through the Holy Spirit. And then we, he talks in verse 4, he talks about the promise of the Father. Now that promise of the Father, he's going to describe it down below. Um, but I want to just hit on this idea of what a promise is. Uh, and and when we, we hear the word promise, we tend to think again of our earthly idea of a promise. You know, oh, I, I promise I won't do it again. Or I promise I won't forget. Um, or or I, 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 I promise you, or my promised one, or promissory note. If you've had to buy a house, you've dealt with promissory notes. All right, and, and, and those kind of things. But in, in, in this context, in the, the Roman Greek context... Uh, the word is epiangelia, um, which means which means the thing a messenger says. See, a messenger, angelos, um, 
he brings the the gospel in Galion, um, and in the gospel there is a promise epiangelia. There is the master, the Lord, the king, saying he will do something. And that messenger brings the message. And so we talk about the gospel of Jesus. We need to remember the gospel is not just about who Jesus was as a person, but what God did through Jesus. And the promise of the Father is what God says he will then do through us because of the gospel. We'll come back to the promise. Um, and then in verse uh, verse 5, it says, Jesus says, we get the first quote from him. You heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I would, I would hazard a guess that in the last 300 years of church history, this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been one of the most debated themes in theology because people argue all the time about what it is um, i remember being a, a young school teacher in a christian school and one of my one of my teenage students coming in so excited because her little brother had been baptized in the holy spirit the day before now being a baptist i had absolutely no idea what that meant now she she came from a, uh, a, a an old school holiness congregation. Um, holiness congregations have a slightly different belief on um, on the Holy Spirit. And what she literally meant was that her little brother, who was about seven or eight years old, had been speaking in tongues during the church service. He had he had just you know fallen on the ground and and started talking in unknown stuff. And she was super excited about this because God was moving. This is so incredible. And, and people who are excited about that don't like it when you take them to the Bible and point out that in the scriptures, if somebody speaks in tongues, there has to be someone who interprets for them. They don't like to hear that because this is the Holy Spirit, man. And the Holy Spirit just moves however he feels like moving. But the Holy Spirit moves according to his commands in verse 2. And then... When they ask him, in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Um, Jesus replies, he says, first of all, that's none of your business. That's what verse 7 says. But in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is the purpose of that power? What is the purpose of the promise? What is the purpose of the baptism? What is the purpose of the commandment of the Holy Spirit? It was that the apostles would become my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now that, by the way, is the outline of the book of Acts. It starts in Judea, then it goes to Samaria, and then it uh, expands out. Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem starts in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then Paul goes to the ends of the world. That's the outline of the book of Acts right there. Um, but he says to them, look, the Holy Spirit, all these commands, the promise of the Father, the gospel, um, what the gospel tells you 
about me and what I've done. What God is going to do through you is he's going to make you witnesses. And not just witnesses of anything, but my witnesses. Now, if you don't know uh, this little tidbit, uh, the Greek word for witness is the word we get martyr from. All right. Um, now, we've tweaked it so that martyr is somebody who dies for something. But this is this is the idea of you are speaking a truth that may be hot, may be received uh, in a hostile way. He says, this is your this is what's going to happen for you. This is where you're going to go. And the apostle's job, the word apostle means sent out one, somebody who is sent out. And, and he says, I am preparing you. The gospel has come to you. The father has promised that there will be power. And the purpose of that power is for you to go and be my witnesses. Now, I'm going to say something that some theologians disagree with me on that. And that's fine. That's okay. This is not a message for you. This was his message to them. And you say, well, no. And, and I, 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 will, I will caution, when people read the book of Acts, so often people want to read the book of Acts and say the church should be like the book of Acts. And I would say that the church should actually not be so much like Acts 1 through 28, but Acts 29. If you look in your Bible, you will see there's only 28 chapters in Acts. Because Acts is the process of God establishing his authority on earth through the apostles who give us the scriptures, the New Testament. And that is the authority for the church. But we cannot claim for ourselves the same authority and gifting and power that the apostles had. Now, there's a growing trend in tr Christianity um, to, to claim that authority for ourselves. I, I thought that during the Protestant Reformation, we had thrown off the idea that somebody could claim to be a successor of the apostles. Um, however, um, if you spend much time at all in the modern uh, kind of broad evangelical conversation, you will find there are a lot of people trying to claim apostolic authority. That apostles so-and-so... Um, and, and so, I mean, in the, in the medieval church, you had, uh, you had, a, early on, you had kind of five main, um, patriarchs, which means, uh, father, uh, ruling fathers in Greek, uh, pater and archos, all right, of these five metropolitan areas of the Roman Empire. And eventually, uh, the Roman patriarch decided that because he was the patriarch in the capital of the Roman Empire, that he should be the primary authority, to which the patriarch of Constantinople, which was the actual capital of the empire, kind of disagreed. Um, and then they fought about it for about 600 years before they split. Uh, but, but basically, the Roman patriarch said, well, I have... But all of that, the, 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 the papacy and all that stuff, comes out of the idea that bishops receive their power and authority in a direct line from the apostles. They're passing along apostolic authority. So so-and-so dies and the next, the next bishop is the apostolic authority. This is why when the Pope sits in his big chair, right, and he speaks ex cathedra, he speaks with the authority, according to Catholic doctrine, the authority of the apostles. And so he can contradict something that's been held historically for a long time in the church sitting in that chair. 
Now, that power has not been used in, in recent history because uh, people have a lot of questions about how exactly that mechanically works. Um, but, but the idea is that authority is passed apostle to generation to generation. Well, the Protestant Reformation, we kind of went, eh, we don't think so. Um, and the European Protestants, they started pushing this idea of sola scriptura, um, this idea that the scriptures are the authority for the church. Kind of a novel idea. But in recent development in Christianity, and a lot of this has to do, to be honest and to be completely brutal, um, it has to do with the, um, how do I put this gently? The tendency of a lot of people to be persuaded to follow leaders without question. Uh, the And the tendency of people to kind of want somebody else to make decisions for them. We, do, we, don't, we don't, as human beings, we have a tendency to kind of want somebody else to make the choice for us, to make the interpretation for us, to make the decision for us. People like strong leaders. As much as they hate strong leaders, people like strong leaders. And so there's been this tendency to re-elevate this apostolic authority. Now, sometimes people don't use the term apostolic authority. Sometimes they just assume the apostolic power. Uh, this happens a lot in independent congregations where there's no controls over the pastor. There's no checks and balances. A pastor becomes an autocrat. Why do we do it this way? Because I said so and I'm the pastor. That's why. And and we, we make all the decisions based on what does the what does the pastor want? I always get worried whenever there's something going on at the church that I there, when there's nothing going on at the church that I don't like. There's if there's I start to go, wait, what's happening here? And this this assumption of well, we are, you know, we're an Acts church. We're an Acts 2 church. And so we have all that authority. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, Jesus commanding the apostles, the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their particular case, um, the whole point of it was to empower the apostles to become the authority for the church for the ages and then those apostles recorded under the inspiration and power of the holy spirit the new testament and then and this is important that human authority stopped it stopped for church leaders and it stopped for you we do not get the right to change this to make it fit what we want it to be. Um, now, that's big and small. and We can get into all kinds of different subjects about that. But right now, there, is a, there are all these theological movements that are trying to redefine what the Bible says to accommodate social agendas. People are going into the scriptures and they're saying, well, what, you know, um, 
when Jesus talks about this, or when Paul talks about this, we have to, and, and you guys all know me, I love history, I love context, but then somebody said, well, let's understand it in context, and then they start offering a context that sounds really good to the average person, because, I mean, how many of you read ancient Greek and Roman authors for fun? So they say, well, this is what it said, you know, here's the context, and... You know, and, and we sit there and we go, ah, that's not what it says. But it must say that because so-and-so said it. There's a thing, by the way, in academic circles. Uh, what, the first generation's theory becomes the second generation's curriculum becomes the third generation's dogma. Somebody comes up with a theory or an idea, his students teach it in the classroom, and by the third generation, it's accepted as law. This is true. This is absolutely true. And it happens all the time in academia. It happens all the time. And if you question the third generation, you go, well, why is that true? Has anyone read so-and-so and and made sure that that was true? How dare you? How dare you question the dogma? Corporations are the same way. Absolutely. Human beings like authority. They like strong authority. The purpose of every pastor, every Bible teacher, every believer is not to understand this the way we want to. It is to understand it the way that it was given. The apostle's job was to be, and this is deep, are you ready? The apostles. And then their job ended. They gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon, Hebrew, J- Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. I think I got all of them. Go eat popcorn. Yeah, I got them all. Um, their job, their job was to speak to the church. Now, by the way, Paul wrote a lot more than we have, but most of what he wrote was not inspired of the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, I mean, first and second Corinthians are probably the second and fourth letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Somebody said, well, if we ever found another letter in Paul's handwriting, first of all, good luck figuring that one out. But if we found a letter in Paul's handwriting, would it become part of the Bible? And the answer is no. Because the authority of Scripture is established. The authority of the New Testament is established on three principles. This is how the ancient church did it. Everybody thinks, if you watch the Da Vinci Code, everybody thinks that the Council of Nicaea, a bunch of bishops got together and said, what what books can we use to support our position? That is not what happened. When, when Christianity was finally allowed to come above board in the 4th century, the first thing they did was they looked around and said, what do we all agree on? And what they agreed on was that in order for a book to be authoritative, 
in order for it to be included in the canon of the New Testament, it had to have three criteria. Number one, it had to be written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. Luke writes, Luke writes Luke and Acts. He's a close associate with Paul. James and Jude are the brothers of Jesus who served with the apostles in Jerusalem. Um, Hebrews, we don't know the author of Hebrews, but it's reflective of Paul's theology. Mark was uh, a companion of Peter. Matthew and John were, were apostles. Um, Romans through, uh, Romans through Philemon are all written by the Apostle Paul. Um, not, I mean, first and second Timothy are written by Paul, not Timothy, if you don't know that. Revelation is written by the book, by John, Peter, James. All these are written by the Apostles. The second thing that had to be true is that it could not, there could not be any contradictory doctrine in it. In other words, if a book said that Jesus was just a nice guy who lived in Galilee, it was out. If a book said that one day Jesus was going to come back and turn us all into perfect spheres, because that's what eternity is, is perfection. Some of us are already on the way. But if it said that, it was out. And the third qualification and the third requirement of a book to get into the New Testament was simply, do all the churches accept it? So there was a really popular book called The Shepherd of Hermes. It's a really interesting book. It's got a lot of fascinating stuff in it. But it was only accepted by part of the church. So when everybody got their heads above the above the, the persecutions, they had a second to breathe, they looked around, they said, does everybody agree on Shepherd of Hermes? And somebody from Turkey went, say what now? Book went out. It was only when a book was confirmed to be... Uh, to have a universal testimony of the church that everybody said, this is the, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is the authority that God has given us. There's lots and lots of interesting things that don't get in here. There's a, book, there's a thing called the Didache, which would be useful because it tells us how to do church services. You ever notice the Bible doesn't have any directions on the order of service for a church service? Sure would be nice. There are some, uh, there are some, uh, hymns and songs that sure would be nice because then the song selection would be a lot easier if we had an inspired list of apostolic songs. We don't have that. We have the 27 books that the apostles wrote. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the book of Acts, the purpose of Jesus' words here, not for us. They're to establish the men who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would establish the authoritative book for the church for its duration. If we want to hear from the Holy Spirit today, our heart and will have to be in conformity with what he spoke through the apostles. All the time I hear people saying, well, you know, I just want to have, um, I just want to have the Holy Spirit tell me for sure that this is the right choice to make. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't work in that way. He does, he can, but that does not have the authority of Scripture. Um, my father was doing a memorial service for, for the mother of somebody in his congregation yesterday. We, he and I were comparing memorial service notes last night because we were both doing one. In the middle of his service, the middle of his service, this always happens to my dad. I don't know why. This is like the fifth or sixth time this has happened. Somebody stood up in the middle of the service and started to speak a word of prophecy over the people. I'm like, how do you get these people in your church services? It's like, you need bouncers or something. 
The guy stood up and started to speak the word over everybody. I said, what did you do? He said, I talked louder. That somebody says, "Oh God, God has impressed me. I, I need to speak. To, you know, I need an opportunity. You know, the, this kind of thing. It's like check it against the scriptures. Check it against the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Uh, famous, uh, famous uh, teachers, and this happens all the time. TV preachers and teachers. God has just moved us, my wife and I, to go our separate ways." So that we can focus on the ministry. No, he didn't. Your lust and and your contention might have led you to do that. But God did not go, you know what? This whole marriage thing overrated for you. Adam and Eve cleave together. You guys separate paths. Oh, you know, the Lord has... The Lord has touched us. You, you, you have to check anything. Uh, the apostles talk about testing every spirit against the authority of Scripture. You say, why does Bedford Road spend so much time on the Bible? Because we have an authority. We have a, a written text that checks our desires that sometimes parade as the Holy Spirit. The scriptures, real quick, the scriptures, or the, the Holy Spirit today, this is where I want to go, where, the Holy Spirit today, I'll give you three things, real quick. Number one, the Holy Spirit moving in your life will always be in conformity with God's revelation. When I was a high school teacher, I always was dealing with people like, you know, we're just... A boy and a girl. We are so in love and we are like spiritually married. No, you're not. Spiritually married is the same as physically married. Second, it will always be in harmony with Christ. It will always be in harmony with Christ. In the 80s and the 90s, there was a move in the movement in the church, in the evangelical church, to strip out any symbolism that might be offensive to people because we wanted them to come to church. So don't put crosses up because that's an offensive symbol for some people. I seem to remember something in the Bible, and, and Ray and Doc can correct me, but I'm pretty sure there's something in the Bible about Jesus being an offense. A stumbling block to those who would not believe. That the natural man will not receive the things of the Holy Spirit. I seem to remember that being in the Bible. But it was like, well, if we want to get more people into church, man, we've got to remove these obstacles like symbols and authority and, you know, the Bible. Do you guys, by the way, know why I absolutely refuse to put Scripture up on the screen? Because I believe any mature believer should have to look at the Bible. I know this is profound, but I believe it is your responsibility as a believer to know the Bible. To know it well enough to be able to go through the pages. And by the way, I believe you have a responsibility to know it well enough that if I'm preaching, you go, that's not what it says. To be aware of what's going on. It's in harmony with Jesus. 
how do we how do we hear from the Holy Spirit today? The the Holy Spirit speaks in conformity with His Word, with God's revelation. It is in harmony with Jesus, and it is always reinforced by the people of God. Now, I'm not saying church votes. I'm not saying, you know, the, 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 you know, the elder board makes, you know, has to make a ruling on all of your decisions. Alright? But I am saying that when the Holy Spirit moves, it will be, it, it will be in harmony with the scriptures, it will be harmony with Jesus, and it will be in harmony with the people of God. Now that doesn't mean that it isn't hard. It doesn't mean that it isn't difficult. It doesn't mean it doesn't challenge us. But but it's got to be in harmony. When 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 Steve and Cheryl, we saw Steve and Cheryl yesterday. If you weren't here, if you didn't meet Steve and Cheryl Rambicure because you're newer to the church than when they were here, Steve and Cheryl came in. We might as just just all given them a group hug. Everybody loves Steve and Cheryl. Um, they're this fantastic couple. We're sitting in meetings, and and Ray remembers us. We're sitting in elders meetings, and Steve says to me, says to us, he says, well. You know, really, uh, my wife and I have been talking about, we love Bedford Road, um, but we feel like God has been, um, you know, maybe impressing us to go and help this, this church that's starting up in Goffstown. And first of all, I went, Bleh. I'm like, no, no, no. All right. Where will our babysitter go? Um, but Steve and Cheryl, you know, Steve and Cheryl, were, and we were like, and Steve said, would you pray with me? Would you talk? Let's, let's take some time and think about this and pray about this. And, and guys, he actually said this, give me a reason to stay. And so we, we took, I don't remember how long it was. Where's Ray? It was what, four or five months? It was something like that. It was Steve and Cheryl. And, and we, we ultimately, he came in the meeting. We kind of sat there. We were like, we can't think of any reason for you to not go. We, we would love for you not to go. We, we would love for you to stay. But we can't think of any reason that we, Bedford Road, wouldn't want to share you guys with a congregation that needs you. Now, I think if Steve had come into the board meeting and went, you know what, you guys are a bunch of losers. I'm going to a better church. Then we might have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. Put on the brakes there, Sparky. Let's talk about this. But he 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 wisely and Steve was one of one of my my mentors and friends. Steve Steve made sure what he was doing was in conformity with scripture. He made sure it was what it was in harmony with Jesus. And then he checked with the people of God. He said, Is this right? We would save ourselves a whole lot of trouble if we would just accept the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know in my own life, I would save myself a whole lot of heartache and struggle and difficulty and repairing things if I were seeking the Holy Spirit, uh, seeking Him in the things that He needs to be sought in. And the resurrected Jesus says to the disciples, He says, this is what I'm going to do with you. I do, by the way, Love the fact that after he says this, he just leaves. Jesus is the ultimate mic drop. You can't get a better mic drop than ascending to heaven. Uh, you really can't beat that one. And I, I also love, by the way, that while they're standing there like this, two guys in white walk over and go, 
what are you looking at? I said, oh, well, you know, Jesus is like, he'll come back. He'll be back. But in the meantime, you've got a job to do. How do we look at the Holy Spirit's authority in our lives? Do you take the time to make sure when you feel that you're being led to do something, to, to be something, to go somewhere, do you take the time to make sure it's in conformity with the Scriptures, in harmony with Jesus, and confirmed by the people of God? Now nah, it's just me and Jesus, man. We make all our own decisions. Be careful about that. Seeking the wisdom of God, seeking the Spirit of God, is one of the great things that we as Christians are able to do because of the authority of the, of the Scriptures. You say, the Bible's too hard to understand. And find somebody who can help you understand it. You say, I can't keep straight all the names. That's okay. You just saw me do go eat popcorn. I still have to do that to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I've been doing it since I was like six. Um, you say, you say, oh man, I'll never be able to do that. If you don't start, you'll never know. If you don't accept the authority of the Holy Spirit over you, you'll never know the joy of having his, his testimony in us confirmed. 